Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. Coming to you from the Oh No, a Bear family just walked through my yard department. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. I was watching yep. Facebook literally 15 minutes ago, and Richard okay. posted, uh, you posted a, a video of um, uh, the bears walking through your house like the day you get back from vacation. Yeah, walking through I was up yard. on the coast for the whole, all of August, right? Plunking away. Which, by the way, we often have bears up there. Didn't see any on the cameras this hmm. year, this summer. Uh, the apples are almost ripe. So the, as soon as the apples start to smell, the bears will come for us. Uh -huh. But yeah, the day I got back from the coast, uh, you know, sorted some stuff out, got organized, ran out for dinner with some friends. And within 20 minutes of me leaving, mama and two cubs walked uh, up through the back and across the front. And I had, of course, I keep these clips, right? Yep. It's the same mama and cubs from last year. These cubs have just gotten bigger. Wow. And you can see the personality difference in the two cubs. Exactly the same as last year. One cub's way out in front. The other one's like right beside mama. The mm -hmm. one way out front likes to go down the front of our house along the garden wall and jump off of it. The other one carefully goes around on the grass. So It's like Camo and Gia. They they've got a, they've got some personalities, you know. They're they're up to stuff, but and typically these these cubs stick with their mom till about three or four years old. Generally, the most dangerous bear you get is like a is a four year old male, yeah, because he's just been kicked out by his mom. He's not really good at getting food yet. They're a little scrawny and stupid. They're you know. Like at the same time, when you see a family of black bears, you should avoid them at all costs. Yeah, um, don't. Well, the main thing is don't get between the cub and mama. Like that's unwise. Yeah. Uh, and generally starting them is bad because the babies will go up the tree and then mama won't leave. Yeah. Right. They tend to go up trees. Mom can't climb either. So they just, they, then you're stuck with her there anxious until the cubs come back down. Right. Um, but they, they also, mom tends to be really cautious. So if there's anything going on in the cul-de-sac, she would turn her mom, cubs around and go the other way. Hmm. So uh, that morning, that afternoon, there was nobody in the cul-de-sac. So she just cruised through and down the next uh, green belt, which is good. You know, yeah. normal. Right. That's a that's a functioning urban bear, right? Like not causing any trouble for anybody, just moving between green belts, one buffet to the next. Well, you know, I kind of feel like people who aren't familiar with bears are probably going to be more familiar with them in the coming years because they, they sort of are migrating south. Um, I think what's what's happened is that they are um, being more successful in general. Mm. Uh, people aren't, uh, they, we're not using poison as much. It generally was the bear killer. Uh, and so we, they, that doesn't hurt them. And so they are being fruitful and multiply. The, the stats around here is that we're at bear saturation. Uh oh, there's so many bears. What do they taste uh, like? More, more than they realize. Uh, they eat garbage. So don't do that. <laughs> well, That's so unwise. Do pigs, but they're tasty. Yeah. No, no, no. Gar pigs don't eat garbage anymore. No. Okay. Right. Once we feed, we feed pigs properly, but. You know, that's a, that's the old story, but yeah, you, you be careful around bears, but the, yeah, the reality is, uh, that we, we have a lot of bears and, so, they, and they're if, when the cameras, you would never know. They're totally, they move quickly and quietly. Like it, the cameras give it away. Yeah. So I heard a rumor that this is actually a programming show. Is that true? No, no. <laughs> crazy talk. Well, anyway, I, I think I have probably the most appropriate better know framework for today's show that I've, awesome. that I've ever stumbled across. Like it was kismet. Okay. Roll the music. All right, man, what do you got? All right, well, our guest is going to talk about F-sharp. I happen yes, to sir. find 
Yeah. I happened to find a library that seems like it was something that I paid for in the past, and now it's free. Huh. It's called math.net numerics. So okay. if you go to numerics.math.net, all one word, dot com, uh, this is a, a, a library to provide mm-hmm. methods and algorithms for numerical computations in science, engineering, and everyday use. So special functions, linear algebra, probability models, random numbers, interpolation, integration, regression, optimization problems, and other stuff that I've never heard of since I was 15. (laughs) I have my everyday linear algebra problems. Yeah. So here's the cool thing about it. Uh, The core package is for .NET, but then they also have an extension for a better experience when using F Sharp. Ah, look at that. Isn't that cool? That's very cool. Zaid, you going to check this out? I actually happen to know the library. I've used it before. Look at you. Uh, wow. So it's it's solid. It's got like over 2,000 stars or something like that. It's, nice. it's a really solid library. So. Well, and I presume it has real random numbers because the random number generator built into .NET is not that good. Yeah, well, I mean, what is real? I mean... Real random well, every, numbers. Means, they're always going to be pseudo random numbers, but yeah. more random would be, you know, great. I found a, a good way to do it is to create a new object and get the hash code of the object, which is an int, and seed the random number generator with that. Nice. And then, you know, create a random number as a, an array of bytes and turn that into a GUID. That's a good good way to do that. Yeah, as long as it's not part of a startup sequence for a machine, because mm. you're very likely to get the same object number on a cold start. That's interesting. Wow, yeah. that is interesting. I didn't well, know that. I've, I've had that problem, right? Like this is a work. This is a process that's being restarted on a regular basis, so the startup sequence tends to have identical behavior. Wow. Uh, so yeah, it's how you need to use the random number and what context, like what things are consistent, is always the hard part. Right. Right. Okay. Well, enough about that. That's what I got. Know it, learn it, mm-hmm. love it. Who's talking to love us it. today, Richard Campbell? Hey, grabbed a comment off of show 1473, the one we did back in September of 2017, so eh, four years ago, and it was uh, the show we did with Scott Wasslin talking about uh, F-sharp for C-sharp developers, and we did get into some of the web dev for F-sharp as well, which I'm sure we're going to go do today also. Absolutely. And uh, This comments from Dave Shaw, who said, uh, on the topic of F-sharp for web development, in addition to Suave, because we talked about Suave on the show. What'd you call me? (laughs) Brought up Giraffe, which I don't think we've ever talked about on the show before. No, I've only seen bears. Giraffe hasn't been around for a while, actually. You know, I just poked around it, and it's got updates that are only a few months old. Yeah, it's actually being kept up to date. And immediately that comment's about four years old. So I had to go take a look and hit giraffes at 5.0, just pushed out earlier this year. So, you know, still thriving away. And Dave goes on to say the advantage, he says, is ultimately I would like to build a web application in .NET Core uh, with a functional framework, which not only benefits from Kestrel, the web server, but also the entire .NET Core ecosystem, including other middleware such as static files, authentication, authorization, security, yeah. the flexibility of the configuration system, logging, or just being able to retrieve information from the current hosting environment. Right. Which, yeah, you know, is more. there's more than one way to do this, but I, I appreciate that Giraffe is pretty savvy to the core web framework uh, so that F-sharp guys get the same, access the same thing. So I'll include a link to that. 
And Dave, thank you so much for your comment. A copy of Music to Go By is on its way to you. And if you'd like a copy of Music to Go By, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or on the Facebooks. We publish every show there. And if you comment there and I read it on the show, we'll send you a copy of Music to Go By. And definitely follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He is at Rich Campbell. Send us a tweet. And uh, please, no regression. We, we don't need that. <laughs> we, you know, every single time we get regression. All right. Put that regression in your pocket. Just put it away. I don't even Thanks. know what that means, man. <laughs> you know, people look at me and say, oh, you're a programmer? You must love math. I'm like, well, actually, I play guitar. You know, it's like, uh, I know enough you math. You're the dangerous. love math part, right? Like, I use ratios all the time, but that's about it. I mean, unless I'm doing something really crazy, like working the Kinect or something, then I have to do yeah. three-dimensional um, geometry. I, it does feel like to me, you often have to, if, to get through a certain procedure, you have to brush up on a particular skill set, get it to a point where you can write that code that's, you know, relatively coherent. And then it just leaks out of your head again because you got to brush up on the next concept. Yep, exactly. Oh, and by the way, if you happen to hear heavy machinery and beeping in the background, they're delivering tiles for my new roof. Oh, good. So, well, that's good to have a roof. Yeah, roof is good. Anyway, let's uh, bring on Zaid. <laughs> Zaid Ajaj is a software developer focused on F-sharp open source tools, and uh, he's here to talk about a little F-sharp and JavaScript, and um, his experience is there. Zaid, how are you? Welcome to .NET Rocks. Thank you. Thanks a lot for having me. I'm doing good. How are you? Pretty good. Uh, you've been listening to the show for a while? Yeah, I follow you guys um, for a while now, ever since, like uh, I think, from this year. Um, wow. Nice. We're checking out some of the podcasts. They're really cool. Wow. So some of the references we make are probably lost on you. Sorry about that. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. Don't try and pick up the whole catalog after 1,750 shows. No. That's, that's problematic. It's but right. it is and, and often incorrect. But it is a good reminder that, you know, we can't assume that our listeners have been listening since day one. Yeah, yeah. for sure. I, doubt, I just, not a lot of that is relevant anymore, too. Mm -hmm. .NET's gone through many twists and turns. It's not even the same thing. Nope, not really. Different, literally different code. Anyway, so how's F Sharp doing? Yeah, what are you here to talk about, Zaid? <laughs> I'm here to talk about like the most recent up, uh, most recent things going on in the F Sharp world. Some really, yeah, really mm -hmm. interesting stuff going on, especially around the uh, around web development, mm -hmm. uh, around uh, developer tools, and around machine learning. So this, these are the most, um, yeah areas where advances are being made rapidly. Uh, but if we're going to talk about rapid advances, that's gotta be the web development parts of it because uh -huh. that is going really, really good on the F sharp parts of thing, parts of things. Well, and I, I appreciated that the giraffe was at version five. Like that's not just a, you know, fly by night, one weekend kind of framework. You don't get to version five quickly. It takes time. People got to use it for you to want to go that deep into it. Yeah, so, absolutely. I, I don't know if we really talked about Giraffe all that much, except... We haven't. Yeah, so what is that? So it's basically a library that allows you to build a web application on top of ASP.NET Core, but not using the but not using uh, what you usually use, like controllers or stuff like that. Instead, you use functions to build your whole application, right? Hmm. So basically, you're composing your application, making... A bigger application out of a smaller one means that you build smaller functions and you build on top of bigger functions. Does it still have that separation of concerns that MVC is really known for? You can do that. 
you can do everything right. that has to do with separation because basically every time you have um you mean the you mean the separation between the model and the controller and stuff like that yeah exactly and I, and i guess you could do that with anything but i guess it's sort of enforced in mvc you know yeah actually but, it's uh, actually in in giraffe you don't really have a controller you just have a single function and a single function will does something to the http context okay. so it can be a simple thing such as return 400 right mm. and if you want if you and if you want to combine that with another function that returns another html page you combine the 400 with the html page and you get like an html page with the 400 status got it so you you basically have these functions which are um which change the context in steps and you just put them together to make your to make your pipeline there isn't really a controller you could still use controllers alongside giraffe because it's yeah. basically like when you when you plug it in in the ASP.NET middle, middleware, it's just another middleware, right? So you could yeah. also combine it with other middleware and use everything you know. And of course, ASP.NET Core has its own middleware, you know. Yeah, yeah. So how does that work exactly with with Giraffe? Yeah, so these these little functions that uh, do something to the context, to the HTTP context, also have access to the HTTP context, and by extension, access to all the services that ASP.NET Core provides right. uh, ie injects into the context uh, but also other services that you inject yourself so, so you have the 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 services that are injected but you don't necessarily use the ASP.NET middleware you know with app dot use you know static files or all of that stuff you sort of compose that on the fly right you still do that like the, there's so a stack two ways it the giraffe model allows Allows to write allows to write code so that you don't have to use the um, the use stuff from ASP.NET Core, but we kind of mix and match both. So if there's something that we can use, if there's a NuGet that that does this stuff, we would use that, and it will yeah. be in, like part of the Giraffe app, basically. Right. It's a totally different way to think about um, web programming. It sort of reminds me of the early days of CGI or even ASP, where you just had complete control and you had to uh, compose all your stuff on the fly of course it was nothing like f sharp but yeah yeah it's it kind of feels feels like that but th these are like higher level building sure. blocks so you yeah, just like course. combine them both together and you get and you get the functionality if if there's something that isn't there for example like a logging middleware right yeah you could take an existing middleware and put logging on top of it using the other middleware. So it, it makes it really easy to build on top of existing stuff and how to combine different stuff into build into building bigger parts of the application. There's not really a single um there's not really a single uh that, like the smallest unit you need to compose a big application is a function. So that's yeah. like your smaller unit. In ASP MVC the smaller unit the smallest unit would be a controller, right? Mm, yeah. With a, a bunch of endpoints. No here the the components, the uh, the the units will be functions, and that function could either do a whole lot of stuff or just one little thing, right? And Richard mentioned Suave, so I guess Suave has these things called web parts. Yeah, and what it's are exactly they? And the same. How do they? That that's sort of what. Yeah. So the Giraffe documentation says it, it, it's sort of like a mixture of Suave's web parts and ASP.NET Core's middleware. Yeah, because um, because Suave web parts are actually like middleware. Like each part is a middleware, basically, yeah. right? And 
Giraffe does the same, but instead of uh, building its own web uh, web server and and runner, it uses ASP.NET Core. Very cool. Is this what you're using for for most of your web stuff, or is there something? Have we moved on from Giraffe? Um, Giraffe is still, I think, the most common one. There is another library that is built on top of Giraffe to provide even more higher level uh, higher level uh, components, which is called Saturn. Um, and Saturn like is more close to Phoenix from X, uh, Elixir or, um, mm. it's close to like, it's a very lightweight way to build controllers, right? right? But yeah. Giraffe is like the bare bones. Here's a couple of functions, do whatever you want with them. They kind of provide, they kind of provide flexibility, but if you're a beginner, it might be hard to wrap your head around how to structure your app because you're like, okay, you get, you take the control, but what do you do with it? Where, what's the, what, what, what patterns should be followed? Stuff like that. You kind of get used to it after a while, but in the beginning, these things might be a bit confusing. So something like Saturn gives you like, okay, this is a controller. You put it here and you put this there and you put this here and you have an endpoint or a bunch of endpoints. So it makes it, wow. More, yeah. It kind of combines it and it makes it more easier to use. But you could definitely use um, giraffe handlers inside of Saturn. So that's like, they, when it comes to interrupt, it's really easy. Hmm. All right. I mean, it's amazing how mature the stack is. I'm thinking in terms of, uh, you know, we, I just read a comment of a show from 2017. Even earlier than that, we were talking to Thomas uh, Petrasek about F-sharp to JavaScript. So this transpiling viewpoint so that you were writing functions that ultimately transpiled into javascript i think that was that fable that's indeed fable that's uh but that was that was five years ago like i i I gotta think it's moved on a little it has moved on a whole ton of things like well because javascript has too so (laughs) it's not going to be the same code what do you mean it has two well, I think the, the JavaScript, ECMAScript itself, the standards have moved on. Like they've, there's been so many improvements in the underlying language that uh, that what Fable could be able to generate from F# now is going to be transformed. Yeah, true. That is um, that's also funny because uh, I don't think there's like okay, there's like standard ECMAScript specifications, but there are lots of different environments that still don't understand like one set one standard right so for example the browsers still don't understand things um well just recently add they added modules so you can add a script tag with the attribute called module so that it mm-hmm. knows how to import things from other files and stuff like that that wasn't there for a long time so it depends on it also like uh, restricts you on which features you could use from javascript um so you have to put some transpilers in between to make sure it gets to the JavaScript that a browser understands or right. the JavaScript that IE understands. That <laughs> well, means- IE doesn't understand anything. Yeah. We yeah, don't, basically. we're not supposed to talk about IE anymore. Yeah. This, it, it's not a thing anymore. <laughs> it doesn't exist. Well, thank God for that. Uh, yeah. Right. I mean, you, uh, listen, over on the run as side, the panic of IT people with the idea that IE is just not going to be supported more. Like you, it's, it's not a trivial thing. No, it, it should be. There's, there's an awful lot of IE specifically built websites inside of companies oh and God. specific IE versions, right? <laughs> like 
Truly, they're still like, this page works correctly on IE9 and nothing else. I mean, the good news is you can put an attribute at the top of the page that tells IE11, run this through the IE9 compiler. Like, have you ever wondered why Internet Explorer got so flippant big? It's because it has every one of the previous compilers in it. Backward compatibility. <laughs> yes. Backward right. compatibility until you choke. <laughs> nah. Right. Uh, so, but... You know, I talked to IT folks. It's like, this is the battle they're in. That that dev team doesn't exist anymore. That application is essential to the organization. People use it every day or every week. And uh, and it is it is written for i9, nothing else. That's scary. Said, Said, I just went looking on the internet and I found a uh, GitHub repo with your mm-hmm. name on it. And uh, mm-hmm. you're drinking a cup of coffee. Is that you? That's Yeah, that's me. Metaprogramming all the things with coffee-driven development. Yes, yeah. sir. <laughs> I love it. And so you've got a um, a few repos out here. In fact, 247 of them. Yes. Uh, you're, you're a busy guy. I'm very busy on GitHub, especially the last <laughs> couple of years. Wow, that's cool. So have you, obviously, you've, you've written a lot of things to fill in the gaps, maybe, where the, the stuff you want to do isn't quite there in the tools you're using? Am I... Am I too far off of that assumption? No, you're you're exactly correct. Um, I can talk a little bit about that as well. Uh, so when I started learning F Sharp, um, I loved the language, but every time I come into like a a road bump where it's like if only this thing was available in F Sharp, and then I just started building the stuff I needed uh, on the go. Mm-hmm. So whenever I thought, okay, this doesn't exist, or I could do it in a better way. I would jump in and start building stuff. And uh, I'm very, very happy with uh, with uh, a lot of the things I've built, things that w- that didn't exist before or just new ways of doing the same thing. Hmm. I'm very happy with them. I can talk to you about a specific one if you find something interesting. Yeah, well, I mean, it kind of speaks to a bigger issue of there's, there's tools out there. And, you know, like me as a C-sharp developer, whenever I'm working on something, and I need something, I need to do something or a pattern or something I don't understand. Where do mm-hmm. I go? Stack Overflow, right? And yeah. <laughs> I've never done that with F Sharp because I don't write F Sharp, but I, I imagine the experience is a little bit different, you know, than. It's actually pretty similar. Is it? I would go to Stack Overflow, ask people for F Sharp patterns, they'll be there. Yeah, maybe, maybe I'm thinking like the. What is on the, a lower what are the scale, chances? maybe. Yeah, on a lower scale. Like, what are the chances that what you need is somebody has figured out? Um, you, you, you probably do a lot more critical thinking and figuring figuring out than... But, you know, then again, all right, so I'm just blathering well, here, but I, wait, there's wait, a wait, difference wait. Is, in F-sharp. Isn't your question actually, who is the John Skeet of F-sharp? <laughs> yeah, maybe, but... Is that where you're going? <laughs> sort of, but well, I guess <laughs> what I'm saying is, with F-sharp, because everything is so composable, right? Mm-hmm. You're just applying programming logic, whereas with C sharp, you know, you're working maybe with a a, a library or or some, trying to implement something that. Well, you probably have the same issues, like something some Azure pattern, right? Something that you're not familiar with that has mm-hmm. its own um, way of doing things. Yeah, so I, I get. I think I get what you're uh, what you're at, uh, after. Yeah. So in F sharp, when it comes to when it comes to libraries when it comes to existing tools first first thing we would go for is using whatever is is there in the .net because f can use whatever there is in on nuget yep uses the same patterns 
like whatever F C sharp uses, you can do that in C sharp uh, in F sharp. Some some things won't be as um, as nice as if they were built for F sharp because yeah. a lot of the tools are made for C sharp and you we can consume them. You could use them, uh, but some patterns won't be like favored or won't be um, th- won't look very F sharpy. Sure. So in F so in F sharp you would rather take a function as input instead of having a uh, I don't know a, a dependency injection container with yeah. lots of things injected in it, right? Right, right. Um, you just take the imp- the function as an input, which made which would make things a lot easier. Hmm. That's why whenever you have functions, it's a lot easier to compose than having to have a framework on top or to have something huge. What right. I used to do, uh, what I still do, is actually take take a framework and see why is why is the framework even needed? Isn't it just a function call and you could put that in your own code, right? It can be a lot easier than having to set up a lots of things. So this is like a couple of my projects are, are basically that, okay, what's the easiest thing we could, we could accomplish this task, like calling a database, right? Or right. making an HTTP call. What's the, what's the basics thing without I, having a whole framework for that? Now I know that from, from talking to F sharp gurus, such as yourself in the past, that, we, we like to go for pure functions, which just take a, a function as an input, right? Or maybe take nothing. But mm-hmm. what, how do you do dependency injection in F-sharp? Do you, when you compose things, are you assuming that the function that called you has the references that you need to make the calls? How does that work exactly? Um, the not-so-fun answer is it depends. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so you're saying dependency injection, and it's not like the same. You mean it in the sense of the C-sharp dependency injection? I guess what's the analog in F-sharp? Do you do, you do that? Do you yeah, need you can, that? you could absolutely do dependency injection with classes and having things in the constructor. You could just, like, if I was, you could, if you today did .new MVC, but then with dash lang f sharp, you would get a an ASP.NET core application using ASP.NET without giraffe, right? Mm. And there you have classes. You could use dependency injection. You could just do that in f sharp. So that's one way of doing it. But it's, it's not very f sharpy. Uh, yeah, I, like some some uh, uh, dogmatic people in f sharp would say that. Yeah. Um, I'm definitely uh, these days favoring using classes and like mix and match, right? Okay. They take the best of both worlds. So that's one way of doing dependency injection, which is like the C-sharp way, constructor do injection, parameter right. injection, whatever. In F-sharp, things would either be simpler by using uh, the functions as inputs, right? right? So instead of using the whole another class as input to your class, you use another function as input to your function, and you call mm-hmm. that. Whether it's pure or not, well, you can't actually tell. F-sharp doesn't have a way to tell pure from impure functions. It's an impure functional programming language. Mm. Um, <laughs> so why people care mo- a lot about, uh, why people care about uh, b- functions being pure is that so that they're easier to unit test. Right. But depending on what you unit test, you might be actually, uh, it might be actually favored, favorable to use impure functions. So I'll give you an example. Okay. If I'm if I'm writing um, data access code, right? And you, what people would usually say, okay, you have to separate your data access code from the code that uses that mm. so that you are not dependent on a database so that you don't need right. a database for testing your logic, right? Yeah. 
but actually I found it's a lot easier. Well, if, with a bit of setup to do integration tests on, an, on a real database so that you test the whole thing. Hmm. So you don't just test yeah. the code, the logic, but you also test the thing that calls the database. You test the data access code as part of it. Well, because the database is going to affect things. Like if you do tests without your database, mm-hmm. you're not going to, you're going to miss some conditions like yeah. nulls that, uh, that introduced by the database or a constraint of the database. Like yeah, you will- fundamentally the database is an external state source. Yeah, absolutely. Like when I used to do lots of mocking and doing lots of interfaces and stuff like that, but I, but I always found that, um, that I missed something because you basically assume your database is going to return what, whatever the interface shape looks like. Right. Right. And consistent every time. And it's, that's a lie. It's never true. Yeah. You never know because if the, if the database has a different shape, it's not like in your code. So it's not part of your code. So yeah, a lot it, of, is, it is an external dependency. So you can't have pure functions against the database, really. No, not not really, unless you can, I guess, embed the 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 engine in your code. I don't know. It is like technically technically possible. Yeah, but it doesn't make it, it doesn't make it a good idea. It, no, I, w- I would <laughs> hey, say that math.net didn't have these problems. <laughs> no, I guess, yeah, well, what's now we get into it's determinism, right? Like yeah. is this a deterministic function? then it has the possibility of pure. A non-deterministic function, and I would argue that anything calling a database is non-deterministic. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, yeah, you kind of have to see if there's a connection or whatnot. But what you want to do, like in a basic in a basic scenario, three-tier application, so I'm just calling a database, returning some results to the front end. Like if you can, if you are able to combine your database code, your data access code, with your unit test and the code that calls it, you basically have control. You basically can simulate the entire backend logic, which is great. And But you're also going to get into a trap. Like if you're testing against a consistent data set, mm-hmm. you're also getting into the trap where your tests are not finding certain conditions that are in the production data set. Yeah, true, true. Because you, could, you should be able to make lots of test data. So what we do is uh, we see the database with code, like, we see the database with, with data and then run the code that operates against that data. Right. So we still are operating against the assumptions of the data we inserted, but it's still right. like tested. It still tests the whole pipeline. Make sure there isn't any pesky errors with reading the code or reading the data or parsing it, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, I just think you, you've got to make the worst database you can think of. So, you know, it's got to be, your test database should be horrible. It should have every mistake <laughs> in it possible. Just so that, it, because real data is not tidy. It just isn't. Nope. Right? Input so is evil. It, I think, yeah. You And I, by the way, I'm good at making those. I'll make you some evil data. <laughs> From Sounds an evil cool. man comes evil data. There you go. Hey, uh, hey. Gentlemen, we need to stop for one moment for this very important message. You know, using the internet without ExpressVPN is like not wearing a seatbelt when driving a car. Most of the time, you'll probably be fine. But all it takes is one accident to make you wish you'd protected yourself. Every time you or your phone connects to an unencrypted network in hotels, airports, or restaurants, you're taking a risk. Any hacker on the same network can gain access to and steal your personal passwords. And once they have your passwords, they've got you. A smart 12-year-old with some cheap hardware could do it. Your data is valuable, and hackers make big money selling personal info on the dark web. What you need is ExpressVPN, 
ExpressVPN creates a secure encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet, so hackers can't steal your sensitive data. It's super secure, too. It'd take a hacker with a supercomputer over a billion years to get past ExpressVPN's encryption. ExpressVPN is also easy to use. Fire up the app and click one button to get protected. It works on all devices, too. iPhones, laptops, tablets, whatever you got. I use ExpressVPN, and I encourage you to do the same. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash dot net. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash D-O-T-N-E-T. And we're back. It's .NET Rocks. I'm Richard Campbell. That's Carl Franklin. Hey, man. And we're talking to Zaid about uh, F-Sharp. I think we were going to talk about Fable, but it came up a little bit. <laughs> F-Sharp and, and, and JavaScript in general, because this idea of writing these very terse functions and then turning it into web pages, I, I think it's wildly cool. Yeah, absolutely. The recently things that have been improving a lot in Fable, and today I want to talk about the differences between now and um, four years ago, because that's when you... Five years ago? Five is that, years is ago. That, is that the transpiler you guys were talking about? Yeah. Yeah. This is what Thomas talked about in, in 2016 when it was brand new. Right. And now five years on, like I think it's a whole lot more grown up. Five years on, I think it has become really, really mature in the sense that how much Java, how much F-sharp it can handle and how much mm. things it understands about F-sharp and it can translate to JavaScript. So it's in on one hand, you have the transpiler, which is like its only job is to compile F-sharp into correct JavaScript and make sure that JavaScript runs smoothly anywhere, right? However, when it comes to Fable, it does a lot more. It works a lot more towards integration with existing JavaScript. So Fable implements tons of things, interoperability features to allow F-sharp code to connect to existing JavaScript code. Hmm. very very like it's it, one of the most important things about important things and good things about fable the, it's interoperability because right uh, because when we, we write f sharp we love it and it's robust and it's nice to work with you know it it's cool it compiles to javascript and everyone is happy however you will see you will browse github you will browse websites you will see that there are lots of cool libraries good libraries that you also want to use from from your code, from your F-sharp code. Mm -hmm. And then it comes a question, okay, so how do you call that code from F-sharp? And that's where uh, Fable's interoperability features come into play, where um, you can basically build a wrapper, also called that a binding and a, and a Fable binding, and basically build a nice F-sharp API on top of the JavaScript library so that users are only concerned with the F-sharp part. So it makes it really easy to just take some existing code, build on top of it, and use it in other F-sharp code. Mm -hmm. So is it literally turning a JavaScript library into a set of F-sharp functions? Is that what's happening? No. If you take uh, So if you have a JavaScript library and you want to use mm -hmm. it from Fable, i.e. from like F-sharp as well, you take a binding, which is which which looks a lot like TypeScript type definitions. Mm -hmm. Okay. So TypeScript definitions will t tell you what the JavaScript functions expecting, how they look like, are they static, or do you need to do you need to create an instance of it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. In F# there's tons of 
ways you could make a binding for an existing JavaScript library. And once you have that, you basically call the binding, but Fable will translate these calls into calls to the real library, which allows exactly. you, which allows you to use the real library. And that has been, um, a huge focus in my work in, in open source, uh, in open source space where, um, I basically built dozens of those bindings, right? And each time it's a bit different. Each time it's a bit easier to do this or to do that. And, um, it's, it's really, really nice. Um, we could talk about a couple of those projects or. Yeah. What libraries are you building bindings for and, and how much effort does that look like? Let's definitely talk about a library. Yeah. So, uh, let's take Felice, for example, one of my, uh, libraries on, on GitHub. Uh, Felice is, well, it's happy, stands happy for Spanish. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. And, um, it's a library that allows you to use React from F sharp. Wow. Right? Oh, wow. Yeah. So it basically, it implements the React API like function by function and allows you to write React code in F sharp, fully in F sharp without any JSX or without any whatever. You write an F sharp and you could just run it and you will get a React application. I love it. And I also like your um, definition here or your description, a fresh retake of the React API in Fable optimized for happiness. Yes, sir. And that's <laughs> the idea. That. <laughs> now, how much work was this, Zayed? Like, how hard is it to wrap up a sophisticated library like React? So actually, the hardest part of React is not React itself, because the APIs from React are just a couple of functions. Binding a couple mm -hmm. of functions is not that hard. It's actually really straightforward. And even, even more so if you don't care about building a full binding, right? If you, if you just want to use it, right? If you just want right. to use a library, you could do that in a, in, in a two liners. It's really easy to make, uh, like external calls. If you've seen the external, um, attribute in C sharp when you want to, mm -hmm. to execute some, some C code or whatnot, it's very close to that, but I think a lot more straightforward. A couple of lines and you could already use the code you want to. And depending on how much you want to cover from the API, it will be more work. But the the ideas themselves are very simple when it comes to binding. And it's attribute-based, which I love. Yeah, very much attribute, but you could also use functions and they act pretty much the same. So when it comes to Feliz, it uses actually another huge uh, another huge feature of fable 3 the most recent fable which is compiler plugins right in fable you could build compiler plugins and uh, and consume them in your in your react code so um if you see the readme in the felice project you will see there's a um an attribute called react component on top of a function right okay yeah. and that and that attribute allows you to build a compiler plugin that changes what Fable does to this function when it calls it, right? Hmm. So you could you could do some type of um, aspect oriented programming with it. So you could yeah. say you could say you could do a log of all the arguments that were provided to it on call site. You could do a log before, log after. You could do timing. Uh, these kind of aspect oriented things you could do with compiler mm -hmm. plugins. But in this case, it changes, uh, it changes how the function is called. So when you call a function, it won't just compile to a function call in JavaScript. It will compile to a call to a function in React, which takes this function as input. 
So interesting. It it change it changes the way a function call works, so that it b- works better with what React React expects. So it basically this made such that it matches the JSX transformation from JavaScript. If you've seen JSX before, you would see that you have functions, and when you use them as components, it's like a different function call. That's the same thing with these kind of um, these kind of functions and and uh, compiler plugins. All right. You know where I'm going with this is the Brownfield app that I have an existing web app mm-hmm. and I want to start working in uh, F Sharp with it through Fable. And so I would think I'd need to wrap up some of the functions and things we've built in JavaScript so that you would have access to the existing infrastructure of that application, but be able to work inside of, of F Sharp through Fable. Yeah, you would. if you have a Brownfield app, there are different ways to integrate it. Mm-hmm. So you could either have a mini Fable app inside of your application and have that communicate with your application. I'm not mm-hmm. sure. It also depends on what kind of app you have. Do you, do you have a web API? You want to write a front end for it, or you already have an existing front end and you want to combine it. Right. So yeah, because I think with the web API, it's really not that you, there's not a lot of interplay. Then you're just calling the APIs. Exactly. It's yeah. If you've got JavaScript libraries you've built up for whatever reason, mm-hmm. I would resist that, but it happens, mm-hmm. and still want to utilize them with uh, with F sharp. Oh yeah, you could just like literally like one liner to import a function in a in a relative mm-hmm. file, and you could use that because actually the compilation is really uh, is really close to what Java like F sharp projects are very mm-hmm. close to JavaScript in the sense that um, F-sharp has modules and yeah. you could use functions from modules you wrote before. So, And that compiles very close to what JavaScript expects, which is also modules with exported da- exported uh, values and imported values. So it's is very, it really very close. Is it just the typing that's a problem? Mm-hmm. Sorry? Is it really just the typing that's the problem? Because, you know, JavaScript doesn't care too much about types and, and F-sharp does. Yeah, so the the typing is indeed most of the work in the when making a, a fable binding, uh, but I also found that um, when building a binding, you're just not you're not only giving types. You could sometimes wrap the JavaScript code with more code, which sometimes um, is really helpful because sometimes you kind of fix JavaScript problems with it. You know, so for example, if you know that that function only takes like integers. Uh, like positive integers, right? In your fable code, you could do some kind of uh, some kind of clipping, right? So that even though it expects an integer, you do more to that integer before you pass it down to the JavaScript function. So you could like wrap it and do some safeguarding such that the F sharp code you write will always like will will not do weird things that could happen in JavaScript. So those bindings make it really nice, uh, really nice and easy to work with it, right? Uh, and it, yeah, and that's really interesting because it, it is it is about creating sustainability around these apps, being able to do new things with them with your new tools, and not break the old app. Yeah, and maybe I mean, eventually yeah. migrating them off of IE nine. You know, like that that would be a good thing. I'd That'd like be that idea. an amazing thing if that's possible. <laughs> friends don't let don't friends know. use IE nine <laughs> or IE anything now. Really, IE anything. I'm sorry. What were we talking about before I, before I completely Please destroyed? And uh, yeah. Yes, and, and 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 the fableization of all of these things is fable came from. Did fable come from Babel? Is that the the chain? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like the initial the initial idea behind it. Um, mm-hmm. So that's like 
Also an interesting development in Fable, a while ago, like in Fable 2 point something, Fable used to depend on Babel compiler so that it outputs an AST in abstract syntax tree, which Babel understands and Babel will take it over and compile it to the eventual JavaScript, right? But recently with the, with the most recent version 3.0, we got rid of that. So we don't, we don't, um, output an AST anymore, but we output the actual JavaScript right off the bat. So that removes a huge, a huge dependency on the, on the Fable, on the Fable ecosystem. It also makes sure that we could use Fable standalone without having to use it in combination with the Babel, with the, with the Babel compiler and having, have, and having all the client side, uh, build tool chain in there. So you, you don't have that anymore. It's, it's really easy. All right, I have a question for you, Zaid. Yes. If you were to take a quick mental inventory, how mm -hmm. many, which category do you have more of in your head? Uh, open source projects or 90s band names? <laughs> what? Well, given that I was born in 69. Oh, uh, we got to go 80s. 80s band no, names. No, sorry. I'm sorry, yeah. I meant... 96. Oh, 96. 96. Okay. The other way. I don't, yeah. The other way, yes. I don't know. <laughs> How about band names? Band names. How about, you don't know any band names? How about Barry I, Manilow I, songs? Yeah. Maybe Guns N' Roses. Okay. <laughs> how about, is that a weird, is right, that a how bad about, choice? How about heavy metal songs? <laughs> versus, heavy metal? Versus uh, open source projects. Which do you have more of in your head? Okay, it's, it will always be the open source project, like <laughs> yeah. whatever you compare it with, probably. Um, yeah, I could only think of a metal band. Is is Breaking Benjamin a metal band? Yeah, right. I don't know. You're talking to a couple old guys who haven't listened to the radio yeah. in years. <laughs> I don't know, man. And Zade's like, "What's a radio?" <laughs> okay, I I still know what that is. All right, good. Wikipedia tells me that Breaking Benjamin is a American rock band. Oh. It's a rock band. Okay. It's that's what, very cool. That's what, guess what they call it. I've never heard of the band. I guess before. my point is that, you know, there's so many projects out there. And especially if you're doing web stuff, and especially if you're doing JavaScript, there's, you know, uh, dependencies of dependencies of dependencies. And you end up having these long stacks. And Richard used to call them tribes. But, uh, but now it's just like you can use everything with everything. And, you know, the, your tool belt is is falling off because it's so heavy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the idea is with the idea, especially with with F Sharp and Fable, is to be able to integrate with existing stuff and definitely not have your and definitely not have a, a walled garden of set of tools, right? Right. Right. Because we know these things will die off in a in a year or two, right? Yeah. The best way is just to make something reusable, can be used by other, by other frameworks, can be inter interoperated with other frameworks. Although we kind of do that a little bit, we're in, in F sharp and Fable, I think, uh, we're heavily leaning towards React because it's also very functional, like in, in the, in the way that it composes components, basically. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Um, so we also lean a lot towards React, but there are also efforts to, bring uh web standards like uh um like building um uh, basically standard components what do you call them like just just a just the components that you could use without any framework okay. right 
sort of vanilla JS components. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but using Shadow DOM and things that are like using the APIs from the browser themselves. Right. I think they're called standard components. I'm not sure. Um, but basically those don't require a, uh, don't, don't require a new type of framework like React or Angular or Svelte. You could just use that. Web components, I think. Oh, is it's called web components. There you go. That sounds yeah, very... I think that's what you mean. Yeah, Not yeah. that it's worked, right? Yeah, it I is. Mean... It is the, it is what I mean. Like I just forgot about the. Yeah, but, and the, the Mozilla folks have been pushing the web component idea for a long time. Yeah. Uh, it's just that every browser implements them differently. Yeah. Yeah, still not, not very much standardized. Well, I, I, and I generally feel like, well, let's face it, Microsoft's thrown in the towel. They're using Chromium. So that's awfully standardish. Mozilla and the Chromium guys are kind of batting with each other, but they both care about the same thing. It's Apple, man. Apple's it's Safari, the guy yep. standing over. It's always, Safari is the new IE6. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. It's like, you can build a web page that works on the internet, but then you also have to make version for I, for, for, for Safari. For Safari or do something weird to make it work yeah. with WebKit. Yeah. Where you're sticking in if Safari, where you're sticking if code in, in your web pages is if Safari. What's your um, IDE stack or text editor stack or what do you write code in these days? Uh, VS Code mostly. Okay. But absolutely uh, Visual Studio as well. Which do you like better? I definitely feel more lightweight. I tend to use, I just want to use something that make allows me to write text in it because I love I love like the, the bells and whistles of an editor the first time I see them, but uh, mm-hmm. two days later I'm disabling every single one of them. Yeah, I just don't well, want the noise in there. And you you click on a JSON file and you see the Visual Studio prompt coming up. You're like, ah, uh, yeah, man, yeah. I'm always stand by. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm always opening those with just Notepad. Yeah, drag and drop in a Notepad. Thanks Visual for playing. Studio yeah, says, exactly. Would you like to see that as a class? Would you like to see that with a gigabyte of memory yeah. consumed? Do you want me to create an instance <laughs> Just one of that gigabyte? Class? <laughs> I'll tell you what. I'll change it to a class, instantiate it, and then you can use IntelliSense. <laughs> you know, or I could load this into paint and color it that way. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can't. I can't handle all of all those options that just come out of nowhere. Hey, do you want to invert this if? into like a different shape yeah. or rewrite mm-hmm. this while loop into a do while. Why would I want to do that? Just let me write the code. It's kind of like <laughs> when you ask Alexa what the forecast is and she says, did you know that I can give you blah, 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 blah. And you say, Alexa, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I, I more and more if there's moments where I'm, I swear it's like the ghost of what are you clippy? I know, studio. right? Yeah. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> He's in there somewhere. <laughs> well, somewhere yeah, in yes, there. code is very popular for that reason. Um, you know, it is sort yeah. of the best of breed. It's of just an editor. Editors. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Just an editor. Yeah. Well, yeah, you install one extension and it becomes an IDE practically, right? But still like yeah. very, very lightweight. You, I don't feel like I have to grab a coffee, wait, wait for it to open up yeah. when I, when I want don't. to do something. But you would anyway, because you love coffee. I would anyway. I love yeah. coffee. Yeah. So good. But the, yeah, but it, I, what I don't need is an existential dread because I clicked on a file that Visual Studio thinks it owns. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. Like that's, that's really what, what I really got to do is sit down and go through all of those file types that I occasionally click on and make sure they're mapped to, to code, not mapped to Studio. Or if you're Zade, you'd write a script to do Clearly, that. Clearly, this is a project. There needs to be a project for this. <laughs> Someone has done this before, right? <laughs> yes. Called Remove Existential Dread. <laughs> Zade, is there anything else uh, that you want to talk about before we before we end this wonderful conversation? Um, 
Well, I uh, wanted to talk about a little bit about uh, editor tooling mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. F Sharp because I said like um, we use F Sharp and we use VS Code mostly, right? And right. The, and the reason for that is that there's a really good IDE support for that. It's called Ionide, and it's basically I think it rivals that of of uh, of Visual Studio in the sense that in what it does and and kind of features. Um, but of course, Visual Studio will probably be able to handle more memory and handle more he- bigger, bigger projects. Okay. So that's, uh, that's really cool. The other cool thing about it is that it also supports analyzers. Yeah. Which is another, uh, like in the beginning. In Ionide. In Ionide. Analyzers. F sharp analyzers. Wow. Yes. That is cool. That is really cool. It, so, a while ago, uh, when support, when support came in for, uh, uh, for the analyzers, I was ma- I managed to build uh, to build one. Uh, it was really cool. It was about um, it's a, basically using using uh, a real or live SQL validator when you write SQL code in your in your uh, editor. So once okay. you so once you write your SQL, it will validate the query against your database. It knows which database. Like you just put up another file with a connection string. Mm-hmm. And then it starts checking. Well, hey, that this table doesn't exist in this table. Uh, this table doesn't exist in your database. Right. But it also knows because it also parses the F sharp code. It knows which parameters you should provide and what types they should be. So it uh, also okay. checks the parameters and their um, and their types and redundant parameters whether something can be used or not and stuff like that. And finally, also check how you read the columns. So if you read a column that wasn't returned by the, re- by the result set, you could also do that. So that's one of the cool things that were made possible first by Ionine. And then like, of course you could, it's, it is also possible for Visual Studio, but you could, you should, um, you need to create your own Visual Studio extension and, and basically build your own analyzer thingy. Right. Which is a lot more work. You built an NPG SQL analyzer for F Sharp. I see that in your repos. Yeah, this is this is one of the this is like a, a combo project. Uh, the mpgsql.fsharp is just a really really small uh, thin layer of F sharp code on top of mpgsql, which is the Postgres uh, Postgres uh, ADO data provider. Yeah, right. Uh, so it allow, it makes it really easy and simple to do that from F sharp to to use that, and then the analyzer will understands the code. That is written by MPG SQL F Sharp to to be able to analyze it. So it knows things about what what it means to provide a parameter. It knows what it means when you want to read a column. It knows about the nullability of the columns. It knows everything. So right. these combo projects like kind of work together. You're lowering friction for folks, right? That's yeah, I just want to make it really happen. easy when it comes to data access. It's always such a thing that always like opens really weird doors with entity framework or like huge other types of data access code. And I'm here thinking you could just do like two liners and you get, get your stuff done in, in, in there and, and you're done because not everyone right. has like a huge database or uh, needs to model hundreds of tables. Maybe if you have like a couple of tables, you just need a, a couple of lines to write your query and get results from there and you'll be fine. Nice. All right, man. Well, and, and Ionide is like I-N-I-D-E, which is clever. And it's just a plug-in to Studio Code. Yep. Although I read in the instructions here, I could use Vim. 
So if I hate myself and I want a different <laughs> editor, there's a choice. The choice is always there. You could even use Emacs. Oh, boy. <sighs> what are you, okay. Don Box? Nice. <laughs> you know, there's a reason code's so popular. It's true, yeah. It's just none of, none of that stuff. Yeah. It's like, yeah. hey, it's an editor. It's an editor. It works. Thanks for playing. Well, Zayd Ajaj, it's been absolutely delightful talking to you, and uh, I hope you get many offers for very high-paid employment from this. So, <laughs> so you you, you make it sound know. like I would like it would never happen. I uh, know it's going to happen. I can pretty much guarantee that. So, well, That's, thank you very much. Well, thank you very much for having me. You bet. And we'll see you next time on Dot Net Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a van by the FCC. Yes, I'm a, a